If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And this morning, we will have our third and final sermon in our study, our sermon series that I've entitled, Whole Fast, A Call to Spiritual Steadfastness in the Midst of COVID-19. And over the last uh, two weeks, we've examined this portion of Scripture in hopes of encouraging steadfastness within our church and within you. Um, if you remember, a few weeks ago, Brother Trey kind of did an overview of Hebrews. The, uh, this writer, he, he writes, and we see here in these first ten chapters that he is writing to a group of individuals who are struggling with going back to Judaism, turning away Due to the fact that they were struggling because of their faith in Christ. They were enduring some persecution. <clears throat> and so this is a, a letter written to a group that understands the exhaustion of trials and difficulties. And so after he lays out this doctrinal masterpiece of the supremacy of Christ and his, in his priesthood and in his sacrifice, his salvation. He then gives the church an exhortation. And so we saw this a couple weeks ago in chapter 10. Beginning of verse 19, he gives an exhortation that we are to draw near to God, hold fast our confession, and we are to encourage one another, not forsaking the assembly of the brethren. And then we saw last week that he gives this warning, a severe warning, that those who shrink back, that those who do shrink back, those who do go back to the old way, that they are, that they are committing the sin of apostasy. They are committing the, they are apostates. They were not saved in the, in the first place. And they are, and that is now being shown in the fact that they are not persevering. And so this morning we now turn our attention to what I will call our hope. And so it's a little different than the normal sermons that I do. And so, so I want you to just bear with me this morning. But, but we're going to see this morning what our hope is and how our, our hope in holding fast we're going to see how it is that you and I can draw near and not shrink back. And so the author thankfully gives us that. Now as we begin this morning, I want to read first from Warren Wiersbe from his commentary on the book of Hebrews. And I want you to listen to this because I think this really kind of sets the stage. He writes, he says, this letter was written to believers at a strategic time in history. The temple was still standing and the sacrifices were still being offered. But in a few short years, both the city and the temple would be destroyed. The Jewish nation would be scattered, and this would include Jewish believers, those who were in Christ. The ages were colliding. God was shaking the order of things. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. He wanted his people to have their feet on solid foundation of faith. He did not want them to trust in the things that would vanish. And then he continues. He says, I believe that the church today is living in a similar circumstances. Everything around us is shaking and changing. People are discovering that, they, that what they have been depending on is the scaffolding and not the solid foundation. Even God's people have gotten so caught up in the world systems that their confidence is not in the Lord, but in money, in buildings, in programs, and many other passing things. But as God continues to shake the society, the scaffolding will fall away and God's people will discover that their only confidence in this world must be the Word of God. FBC, the world is being shaken. 
2020 is, a, is God shaking the world. This is not God caught off by surprise. This is God himself shaking the world and putting you and I in a place, in a position where we are to examine where our trust is. Where is my hope? And so we see this. And so what are you holding on to? What are you grasping onto? Everything around you is, is shaking. So what are you looking to, 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 to get you through, to hold you steadfast? And so we see in our text here that these, that these Jewish Christians, their lives, their world was being shaken. But they endured. And now the author calls on them to endure once again in verses 32 to 39. And this author will lay out our hope of enduring through a sequence of events. And I want you to see this. So this is what you're going to see this morning. He is going to ask them to recall past events concerning a knowledge that leads to a confidence that provides or produces great rewards, which inspires endurance resulting in our salvation. So look with me here this morning in Verses 32 through 39. He says, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through the reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul, the soul. And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Notice first thing, beloved, he says to recall. He says that he, he asked them, he's commanding them, you need to recall, so you need to recall some a past event. The Greek word suggests pondering the event over and over and over again to discover a specific truth, a, a constant bringing to one's mind. But what does he want them to constantly ponder? What is it that he wants them to think about? Well, the answer is, is a great conflict of suffering that they've endured, which was brought about due to their enlightenment or their salvation. Now, many of you don't like to bring up past events that were full of suffering and pain and difficulty. We don't, we don't like to think about those things and we want to forget those. You may have had some of those moments this past Thanksgiving. I don't, I don't know how your Thanksgivings go, but mine was, was rather well. It was very peaceful, very nice. It was very enjoyable. Maybe not everybody's just the same. And so you try to forget those difficult moments in life. Well, here he is calling on these believers to not forget, but to recall. To think on it over and over and process the event. To process the suffering and the persecution that was very common to this faith family. To think about the pain and the difficulty that, that, that was brought upon them because of their salvation. We must remember that these were devout Jews at one point in their life. And so when they were enlightened, when they had come to faith, they had joined the family of God in worship and submission to Christ. And this would have brought many difficulties upon them. 
Notice such. He says that you were made public, uh, that you were being made a public spectacle of. In other words, you were being put to public shame. You were exposed as now being a, a traitor to the Judaish, to, to Judaism, to the Jewish faith, and you are worshiping the way. You are worshiping Christ. And so this is basically like bringing somebody on a stage and everybody having an opportunity to laugh and throw tomatoes at them. They are being outed as traitors. But not only that, because this was made public, they now had to endure insults and distress or reproaches and tribulations. Because of their faith in Christ, they received public hatred. They, they were those people who wouldn't, get, wouldn't do right. They were those people who wouldn't follow the, the, you know, the, the way that they were supposed to. Do the, you know, if you'll just do all this, then everything is good. They were those people. And so they were ill-treated and taunted by many and harmed physically, emotionally and financially. But not only that, it says they were companions with those who were so treated. So if they had not been outed, they at least were outed as those who enabled the Christian. And I think that also what was happening with this faith family was, this local congregation was, was that they were companions with many of those who, who had been persecuted. And they were providing money and food. And so they would have been seen as enablers of this grand movement that was taking place. These were difficult times. And normally we don't want to think of these times. We don't want to process and bring back the pain and suffering. But this author is commanding them. Why? Why does he want them to think back on this? Because they endured. They made it. God's grace was sufficient for them. And they were still standing. Oh, beloved, hear me this morning. You and I have moments in our life where, that were difficult and hard. And it is a joy for you and I to think back on those moments and see the grace of God who carried us through. But I will agree with my brother who is not here this morning, and I wish he was. As we were discussing this this week. That here in America, we don't have very many moments like this. That we don't have a lot of moments where you and I can think back where we as a church, as a, as a, as a big church, endured persecution and suffering. But this may be our moment. COVID-19 may actually be the moment that in about five to ten years where we look back to this time and to this day and we say, man, God's grace was so good it carried us through. He can do it again. There is good, beloved, in recalling the grace of God when it, in, when it carries us through. And so here's what we find is that they are re- being reminded that they endured these difficult times. And not only endured, but they endured with kindness and joy, pressing forward and drawing near to God and to one another. But as I said, he is recalling for a, a specific reason here. Notice that he pinpoints that. He says, because you had a knowledge because you knew of something better and lasting. You had a knowledge of a better and lasting possession. The Greek word here means to know by experience or knowledge gained through experience. This is not a head knowledge. 
This isn't just something that you memorized and that you knew, you know, within your head that you could just recite verbatim. That, that was Judaism. They, they knew it, they knew had a head knowledge, but they had not truly experienced the work of Christ. This is far much deeper and more intimate. So what have these individuals, what has this congregation experienced that is a better and lasting possession? Well, what has the author written about for ten chapters? What did Brother Trey preach about a few weeks ago? That Jesus Christ is the better priest. That Jesus' sacrifice is the better sacrifice, the lasting sacrifice, the the never-ending sacrifice. We don't need any more sacrifices. In other words, Christ and His work is better than our work and more lasting and never-ending and eternal. In other words, beloved, the knowledge that we have is a knowledge and a faith in Christ who gave his life to die for us and to purchase our salvation and our restoration. If you will, I want, to, I want you to look with me here because Peter says the same thing. First Peter chapter 1. Just, just, just listen to what Peter writes. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he says something very similar. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us, notice this, to be born again. There's the experience. There's the knowledge that we have. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There's the better and the, and the lasting. An inheritance which, is, which, is, which cannot fade away. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. What is the secret to this church's endurance? What was it that that in a time of great difficulty, in time of great trial, that it got them through? It was their faith in Christ. It was the knowledge that Christ was better and more lasting than anything here on earth. That he was better than their health. He was was better than their loved ones. He was better than, than the peace and the comfort. He is the greater treasure. And we, because of his work, have received an inheritance that everything that comes, that everything comes through him, that everything that we have comes through his salvation. And so they knew what Jesus had purchased for them, meaning they believed and trusted that their suffering and their losses here on earth could not compare to the glory that awaited them in heaven. Matter of fact, they knew, as Peter said, That their faith today 
was far beyond the material things of this world. This is what drove the Apostle Paul, beloved, to write in Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is what Paul goes on to say in that very chapter. He says, it would be better for me to die because when I die, I get Christ. I get him and my inheritance. I get all of that. I get Jesus. But he says, it is better for you that I stay for ministry's sake. And this is what should drive us to press forward, no matter the cost, beloved, because we know that we have something spectacular. So, FBC, what do we have? What do we know this morning? What experience, experiential knowledge do you and I have, beloved? We know that this world has fallen due to sin. We know that this world and everything that's in it, including our own health, including our own bodies, our own minds and everything, Lord, that, that it, is, it is touched by sin and it has fallen and it is decaying day after day after day. This world is full of suffering and full of death because we, beloved, live in a fallen world and we are people who are fallen in need of a restoration and so what we know is, is that Christ died to purchase our forgiveness and our restoration, spiritual and then also physical res- uh, restoration. That his death and his resurrection has restored our souls and spirit to him and into a relationship with Christ that we can be forgiven of our sins, beloved. But his resurrection will also, beloved, bring forth a physical restoration one day. We know that our blessed hope is not in this world. It's not in man, it's not in governments, it's not in science and in medicine, it's not in any of those things. That the hope of this world, beloved, the restoration of this world is in Christ. That He will one day restore it. That we know that we are not to lay up for, for ourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But you and I are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. For we're told that where our treasure is, there our heart will also be. We know this. We know that our God is reigns supreme and is sovereign over all things and that nothing happens beyond His will. If you are a believer this morning, if you are a Christian today, beloved, this is what you know. And I would say that if you're not a believer this morning, hear me, if you, if you don't know this gospel and you don't know, if you don't know this great grand mystery that was revealed in Christ, that you would come and repent of your sins and know it. But I would say as the Christian that we know We have faith in Christ who has bought for us a better and lasting possession than this world. A better lasting possession than this earth. Better lasting treasures than money and health and peace and and comfort in this world. So, So the question, beloved, that you and I must ask this morning is, do you have this knowledge? Do you have this knowledge? That comes from knowing Christ. That is the answer. That is the key to being held fast. No matter the trials and no matter the difficulties. If not, repent. 
Repent and come to Christ this morning and believe upon Christ and give your life to Christ and confess your sins before Him and call out to Him to be your King and to be your Redeemer, to restore you soul and body. For it is the only hope that you have, beloved. If you are a believer this morning and you have this knowledge, but you are finding yourself, you say, Brother Brian, I I know this, but I'm struggling with fear and doubt, and and I struggle through trials and difficulties, and I I can't seem to rejoice in the midst of them, and can't seem to, I just want to wave the, the white flag rather than to endure, then you must grow in your knowledge and faith of Christ. And I'm going to show you that very shortly in just a moment. But know, beloved, that it is still the key and it's still the answer. It is to be deep, it's to deepen yourself in these things. But I would also say that if you have this knowledge and you have the confidence that we're going to talk about in just a second, hear me. But those around you who do not have it, the most loving thing that you can do in this world, the most loving thing that you can do in this world is to share the gospel. I know that you and I are being told as the church that the most loving thing that to do is, is for us to shut up and go home and not come out of our houses and, and, to, and, to ne- and put a mask on and, and, and protect everybody out there. Hear me, you know, don't worship because you'll spread the most loving thing you can do is tell the world of Christ, to preach it, to sing of it, because that is their only hope. Because we have a knowledge, beloved, that saves. We have a knowledge that will endure not only this life, but the fire that is to come. And so therefore, we must share this gospel. But notice how this knowledge brings forth a confidence. A confidence that helped in past trials should not be discarded in present ones. The, the, the confidence is, is how they were, were able to draw near to God. And here's what I love about the book of Hebrews is that, that when he talks about the boldness of drawing near to God, I love it. He, it's not about physical threat. The fear was never, it was never that you need to be bold, you know, that, that, that you can enter in boldly now because the physical threat is gone, that the, the persecution is gone. No, it's because now your sin has been dealt with and you can stand before a holy and righteous God. So you can enter in with boldness. So there's this confidence that we receive from our faith in Christ, our knowledge. And so, so we're able to draw near to Him, and to look, but to lose this confidence would result in shrinking back. In returning to the old life. Beloved, the Christian who shrinks back is like the Israelite who looked to Moses and said, Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? I, I know slavery was bad, but man, this wilderness is hard. Let's go back to the chains. For the Jew for the Jewish Christian in Hebrews. It was going back to Judaism. They had been set free from the rituals and the traditions that did nothing for them. And they say, would it not be better for us to go back to Judaism? Because at least it's easier. And for you and I, beloved, today it would be, would it not be better for us to go back to the way it was before we were saved? You know, this whole being a Christian thing is hard. This whole gathering to worship at risk of our own health and the health of others is hard. So let's stop worshiping. Let's go back to Egypt. 
And let us go back to the way that it was where we didn't press forward to God and we just lived our lives the way it was and followed the world. Understand, beloved, that those who forsake the worship of the Lord and shrink back, it is because of a lack of confidence in Christ. If you and I are to be steadfast in these days, beloved, it is going to be because we have an assurance in a better and lasting possession to know that we are in good hands. How many of you gave your life to Christ? Right? You gave your life to Jesus. You said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I am in need of you. I can't make it into heaven. So you gave your life to Christ. And you thought that just meant your soul. How many of you have confidence this morning to place everything, your soul and your body, in the hands of Christ? That is the confidence, beloved, that that we receive when we have faith in Christ. That we can join with the psalmist who says, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Friends, if you are struggling in these times to hold fast, hear me. The answer is not that the circumstances change, that you may live without fear. The answer is that you be strengthened in your confidence in Jesus Christ. Not in yourselves. Not in your government. Not in the media and in the science and the medical field. and not, Not to change the circumstances of your families and all these things. Not in any of those things, but in Christ It is the confidence in Christ that moves us forward. That when everything is at risk, we do it with joy and glory to His name. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no good medical advice. And there's no good advice from the government and and other things. That's not what I'm saying. But these things cannot remove your fear. They cannot remove your fear. They cannot change your circumstances. Because here's the thing. We want it to go away. But what if it never goes away? Or what if COVID-19 is cured and it goes away, but COVID-20 comes out? Or COVID-21? Our confidence, beloved, is not in man. Our confidence is in Christ. That is produced by faith in Jesus Because we understand that mankind cannot fix that which God is in control of. And so therefore our confidence does not come when the circumstances of our life change. I'll worship God when everything else is right. When everything is better. When I'm I'm no longer afraid. I'm no longer scared. I'll share the gospel when there's no longer a risk. No. We do all of those things now because we know and understand that Christ is the better priesthood and He is the lasting sacrifice. And at the end of the day that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our struggle is is with us trusting Christ. Do I trust Him? With my health... And the health of loved ones, do I trust Him with my freedom or my imprisonment? With my wealth or my poverty? 
Do I trust that Jesus is truly the rock that cannot be moved? And unfortunately, beloved, there is no step-by-step guideline. It would be really nice, wouldn't it, for me to come and say, do A, B, C, and D, and it's all going to be fixed. But here's the deal. This confidence in Christ grows through the work of the Spirit as you, guess what? As you draw near in difficult times. And so in other words, the answer is, it's just to hold on with everything you've got and continually pray and continually trust that He is good and He is faithful. And as time moves on, and rather sometimes it moves on very slowly, He begins to grow us in the confidence, begins to work in us and to rid us of our flesh and of our weaknesses, and we begin to trust Him more and more and more. The answer at the time of us trusting in Christ, beloved, is that we trust Him because we've been through adversity and we can recall the fact that when we were in it one time, He was faithful then and He will be faithful again this time. It grows as you continually draw near, struggle and fight to draw near and to worship and to love Him with all that you have. And so therefore, I would encourage you today, FPC, that if you are looking to have this kind of confidence in your life, not just for COVID-19, but this kind of confidence in your life in Christ, I would encourage you to recall those past difficult days of your life, in whatever it may be, where God's grace was sufficient for you, and know that His grace will be sufficient today. I, I would call upon you, beloved, to, 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 for you to remember back and to read the Scriptures of when God's people were under oppression and under sufferings and trial and how history is littered with the ruins of all of God's enemies. You can look at the pyramids and the Colosseums. All of those nations and all the things that have ever come up against God's people have all been destroyed and made a ruin of COVID-19 is no different. I I would call upon you, beloved, to read and to learn what the Bible says about Christ and suffering and death. To know Him. and To love Him. I I would pray, beloved, that you would call upon Christ to build your faith in Him. That you would pray and beg and ask of Him to help you. That you become vulnerable and recognize your need for the Spirit to work in you That you would recognize your need and call upon those who love you within this church to help you and say, I don't have the confidence that I need. And so I need you to walk with me in this. And we walk together. And I would say, beloved, hold on with everything you've got. Because one day this too shall pass. And when you look back, what you will find is that all the while, Christ was working in you and through you, building your confidence. But know this, that this confidence does not come without rewards. It's not in vain. Notice he says here that that they will receive great rewards. In other words, their efforts are not in vain. You You could say the rewards, the Greek can also translate wages. What are the rewards and wages that this church received? Well, notice that he says that they suffered with sympathy and joy. You say, that's a reward? Absolutely. Joy, according to the world's definition, is an emotion evoked by well-being, success, and good fortune. If things are good, then I will be joyful. But that is not how the Bible defines joy. The Bible defines joy as a gift of God, a reward from God, a fruit of the Spirit, and an independent, from indep- independent of all circumstances. This is how these Christians had joy despite their suffering. They had a knowledge 
of Christ. They had faith in Christ and a confidence in Christ, which produced by the Spirit joy. Beloved, isn't it easier to do the hard things when you're happy and joyful? I would ask you this morning, beloved, do you have joy? Do you have joy this morning? We're entering into December in just a couple of days. So, so, so 11 months, eight or nine months of COVID-19. Do you have no joy? Or has all your joy been robbed? Has COVID-19 robbed you of your joy? The lockdowns, the government, the maybe death and sickness of loved ones or the fear of death and sickness? Has this robbed you of your joy this morning? Or maybe the fear and the worry of con- that, that constantly consumes your thoughts when you go to bed and when you wake up. How many of you this morning were able to gather around that table for Thanksgiving or on Thanksgiving Day, whether you gathered or not, but you were able to say, God, I am joyful and thankful. Oh, beloved, no matter our circumstances, we are called to have joy because it is a fruit of the Spirit that is within us. And if you plan to be steadfastful and you want to hold fast, joy is the key. And where does it come from? Not from the circumstances, not from something going away or something changing, but a byproduct of our faith in Christ. It is a fruit of the Spirit. So therefore, I would urge you this morning, beloved, that you not look for joy in the things that are around you. Not in your job. Not in people. Not even in your most loved ones. But in Christ. I truly believe I'm now understanding Luke chapter 14. Where Jesus says that we must pick up our cross and carry him. But interesting there, there in Luke, we, he also says this. That those who do not hate their father and mother, brother and sister, their husband and wife. They cannot be my disciples. And the reason is because we find more joy and love in them than we do in Christ. Christ has called you and I to put our faith and our trust in Him and to love Him with all that we have. And our joy is still there if we lose everyone and everything that we have in this world. Because our joy is not determined on what we lose. But on that which cannot be taken away. A better and lasting possession. Jesus Christ. So this morning beloved. If you have no joy. I would call upon you to repent. Repent that Jesus is not the source of your joy. That you would be like David. Who would cry out to restore the joy of my salvation again. That you would call out and beg that God would be the joy of your life. And rejoice no matter what may come. But notice not only does this joy produce by confidence, but this joy now leads to an endurance. For he tells him, he says, for you have need to endure. What does he mean by that, this need to endure? Does he mean that they need to stay alive? Does he mean that they need to not be sick? 
You need not to have your house and your, and your possessions taken from you. You need not to be thrown into jail. Is, is that it? Do you need to outlast all your sufferings? And when all the sufferings or all the people who cause you suffering is gone and, no, and, and there's none difficulties and no more trials, then you can say you endured? Is that what that means? No. Endurance is more than, than simply just outlasting my trials and my difficulties. The Greek word carries the idea of remaining under, not simply with resignation, but with a vibrant hope. I will stay under this trial and I will rejoice in the hope that I have. This means that enduring is not just grin and bear it, but to remain under the trials in such a way that we glorify God as we grow in our faith instead of seeking ways to get out from under the suffering. FBC, hear me this morning. The goal of endurance it's not uh, the enduring COVID nineteen. It's not simply don't get sick. Enduring COVID nineteen is not simply don't get sick and don't die, or get someone else sick and someone else die. You have no control over that. Have we forgotten that God is the author of life and death? So that is not the goal. That is not endurance. That we lock ourselves up and that we come out on the other side and we go, Woo! No. The goal, beloved, is enduring COVID-19 in such a way that God is glorified. And notice how they glorified the Lord. They showed sympathy to the prisoners and they accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. In other words, they did not shrink back in fear. But they continued to worship the Lord and did so with compassion and joy. Now, they weren't stupid. They they were wise in how they maneuvered through their suffering and persecution. We should be wise in how we maneuver through our sufferings and our trial. We should be good citizens. We should be loving to one another. But we do not shrink back in fear and, and let go of everything that we believe about Christ and about the Bible. They accepted, notice the word, they accepted their suffering and their losses. What does this mean? It means that we don't give up or give in. No matter the suffering that we endure. They let go of everything. Their life. Their possessions. They let go of it all. And rejoiced in it because they knew. They had something greater. This, beloved, is the goal. That I look at everything that I have in this world and I am willing to let it all go, my health included. Because I know I have something better and I can rejoice and give praise in God no matter what comes. They accepted and received the suffering and the losses with joy and with praise and with worship. 
praising God because our hope is not physical. Nor what we may lose, but what it's not about what we may lose, but it is about what remains and cannot be taken. Our faith is in what cannot be taken from us. My faith is worth far more than my health any day of the week. My worship of God is far more valuable than my freedom as an American citizen. These are the things that matter. These are the things that are better and lasting and eternal that cannot be destroyed by moth and rust and decay or virus or sickness or death. It is my hope in Christ. And so if we, beloved, if we suffer and if we go through trials and if we lose, beloved, enduring, if that's the case, we're all going to lose at this. But, if, but, if, but if, if the goal of enduring is just not to suffer and, and not, to, not to lose stuff, if that, then there's no, there's no glorifying there. But if the goal is, is that I, my joy remain and my worship remains, that you strip me of everything that I have. That we would join with Job. That though you slay me, God, I will worship you. That if someone we love gets sick, we love and we pray for them and we trust that Jesus Christ is the author and that he is sovereign. That if someone that we love was to pass from this life to the next, it would grieve us and we should grieve and we should, as a church, rally around the family and the loved ones and our brothers and sisters and we work with them and we we, we show grace upon them. But at the end of the day, beloved, God is glorified that when we do not shrink back, but that we, that our joy is kept and we continue to worship the God of the universe. So, so, so let me encourage you this morning to live wisely according to the conscience. Do everything that we can. Personal response to do all that we can. But trust and know that God is sovereign and joyfully give Him the praise no matter what we endure. Because we have no idea what is around the corner in our life. To wisely gather to worship with joy, knowing that we have a better and lasting possession in Christ. To strive to do good. Do you not believe that in this time, that this is the time that the church would shine the most? That we would strive to do good to those around us? We have a list of people who have COVID right now. They're sick. How can we love them? How can we encourage them? How can we pray for them? How can we help them right now? We have a community. We have a state that, is, that, that people have sickness. This is the time for the church to rise up and say, we have a better and lasting possession in Christ. So we're going to love and minister and care for all who are sick. We're going to care for those who lose their jobs because of lockdowns and because of shutdowns and all. We're going to financially support those who are in need. That we, beloved, we would strive to do good for those around us and to care for them in the name of Christ and do it with joy and compassion. This is enduring. This is enduring. That we trust our Lord and we worship 
And we do so with joy, ministering to everyone that we can. But notice that, as I said, this results in our salvation. Now notice we're here. Uh, just, just read this with me. He says, for you have need of endurance, verse 36, for when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of our souls. When I say that this results in our salvation, please don't, please don't take that as I mean that our, that our works and our strength produces our salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our endurance is the expression and the fulfillment of our salvation. Endurance to the end is the mark of a Christian and the fulfillment of Christ's saving work. How do we know this? Romans 8, beginning in verse 30. These whom he predestined, he also called And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. For who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or trouble? Persecution or famine? Or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I am convinced, I am confident that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. How do we endure, beloved? Because our hope is in Christ. And that hope That knowledge produces a confidence which brings forth a joy which results in endurance and brings forth a fulfillment of the work that Christ started. That he who began a good work in us will complete it to the end. He has shaken the world, beloved. But he has not shaken his church. Because we cannot be shaken. For we are in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? Are you in Christ? Because this is your hope. Do you have confidence this morning? If you say, Brother Brown, I have no confidence. It is in Christ. You must come to Christ. Do you have joy this morning? You say, I have no joy this morning, but then you must come to Christ. And you say, Brian, I'm struggling and I'm, I'm scared that, that I can't endure no matter what may come. Beloved, your hope this morning is in Christ. Come to Christ this morning. Let's pray.